You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project Podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Command Sergeant Major Daniel Hendricks. So we're talking to Sergeant Major Dan Hendricks. We're really honored to have you, Sergeant Major. To all the listeners, in full disclosure, I know Sergeant Major Hendricks from some time we spent together a long time ago on the, the strategic studies group for the chief of staff of the Army. And I think that's where we're going to open the conversation. Sergeant Major, if you don't mind, we were on the, the CSA's strategic studies group together. And that year, the Megacities concept team produced a, probably one of the most influential, in my perspective, research reports that drove some intellectual discussion and movement in the Army on the topic of megacities. And I, I was wondering if we could start there, Sergeant Major, and talk about basically what was the project you were assigned and, and what you guys looked at and maybe some of the recommendations you came out with. No, that'd be great. First and foremost, greatly appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. I felt incredibly fortunate uh, to be with you and was selected as a non-commissioned officer to be part of the uh, cohort two of the strategic study group, which was under the chief of staff at the time, which was Ray Odierno. And so it was it was an incredible opportunity, not only um, because I was surrounded by very, very talented people, but more importantly, the opportunity to have an enlisted perspective that could be value added to the problem set as uh, we were directed, as you just described, to look at the complexities of a megacity. And so one of the first things that we did during that process, as you remember, we had about four months under Dr. David Johnson, who really kind of took us through a great program to one, help us understand the Army, two, help us understand our own history, and three, to help us with the framework and the process of how we actually look at these problem sets. And so a little bit about my background, uh, which I think also um, helped as we started looking at this problem was having an armor mechanized background for the vast majority of my career, been deployed numerous times, Somalia, Bosnia, Kosovo, Macedonia, multiple times to Iraq, multiple times to Afghanistan. And so being deployed forward in those environments, I thought gave me a very unique perspective of being in some of the environments that we were actually talking about. And then spending uh, about six years in an organization called the Asymmetric Warfare Group, where you went and dealt with very tactical problems globally. And so you went forward with those units, organizations, or individuals who were dealing with a problem around the globe and got to support those efforts. And then more importantly, a, a big piece of what we were doing is to understand those tactical problems and to understand when they had basically strategic implications. So that's what I would call would be the the bookend, the front bookend of coming into the Chief Staff of the Army Strategic Studies Group. And then the back end of being there, I would describe very simply as the Strategic Studies Group was very strategic. But I think the value that I was fortunate enough to bring over time was understanding how those concepts and understanding the problem were tactically connected to that framework. And so we got handed the problem of megacities. Uh, I, I had honestly no idea what megacities was when we first started, uh, but what we realized very, very quickly that they were a problem 
more importantly, they were our problem, the Army's problem, and we were ill-prepared to deal with them. And so I don't know if you wanted to kind of talk about the framework of what a megacity was, but I think that's probably a good point to start. Yeah, I was just going to mention that even the term megacities, as we may have mentioned here, this topic, for some reason, it has two major camps for and against it. There have been many articles published either for or against the, even the practicality of sending army forces into a megacity. Most of us, if we discuss megacities, we go with the UN definition, which is simply a city with a population of 10 million or more. There are other definitions, but most people in the community of interest are just using that as a measure. It means much more when you start to talk about most of the megacities are global cities, you know, globally connected and all the connections and the density of cities, because you can have a you can have a population over you know millions of people that isn't necessarily of the the certain scale and complexity of a megacity, which by definition is ten million or more, but they're really the this special unit of analysis in urban studies. And that's that's what the SSG started with. We're starting with these already identified unit of measure called megacities, which there aren't that many in the world. No, I, I think you hit it on the head. And probably more importantly for me is not only did we see that there's this phenomena of whatever you call it, dense urban environment, future urban environment, megacity. I think the basic standard is we're talking any city that has a uh, 10 million or more population. But what was really, I think, interesting that drove the discussion is that, hey, this is not a uh, problem of the future. It's a problem today. And then when you really started looking at the models in the timeline, today, I think they're identified of 23 cities that had a population of 10 million or more. And then you, you really look at the framework and the timeline of, you know, you go back to 1974, 1976, really you only had two cities of that size. And then by 2012 to now, you're in the range of 23 and it's estimated on the current growth trends that by 2025, you'll have 37 cities of 10 million or more. And so that really does, you know, by 2030, you start talking about these cities that account for over 60% of the world's population. And then this gets into, I think, what you were talking about, John, which you know, they have 70% of the world's GDP. And, you know, from a, a soldier's perspective, and we look at some of the largest cities that I personally fought in, and, um, you know, Baghdad, you know, how do you deal with a city that literally has 400% larger than Baghdad? And so it really is on a scale that we in the United States Army have not had to deal with. Yeah. And I've been dealing with it for now a couple of years of the the camps to include within the army that say, hey, it's just not a it's just not a problem set for us. It's it's too big. But strategy is use of or threat of use of force to achieve political objectives. So to take a an environment like a megacity off the table and say, well, that's just not one that will have any strategic interest in that will cause military force to be used is it's almost absurd, but it's it's a reality that people think that. Right. And so you, you're hitting on a key point. So we, we spent a lot of time. We tied in with TRADOC. We went and really did a deep dive on the doctrine. And, you know, what we really came away with was, um, wow, when you look at our doctrine and our approaches to urban environments, we're not even talking megacities yet. Let's just talk urban environments. And when you start talking decisive action, we as an army, I would tell you, are it is something that we we understand how hard it is. We understand the effort it would take to go in and clear a, a large urban environment. So the doctrine really kind of gives us two options. Very simply, 
avoid it. Go around it. If you do not have to go into that city, because we know the cost historically what that looks like, we really have used a, an avoidance behavior in reference to those kind of cities. The other option is because it is such a problem, we'll just kind of cordon it off, surround it, the, the whole drain the swamp kind of methodology. And then that's how you take down the city. And so that's it's very, very problematic when you start talking about large cities. And so if you don't mind, John, I'll, what I'll switch here to is because as we started looking into this problem set and what I thought was interesting was you can very clearly see the challenge that is not only awaiting the U.S. Army in the future, but what we quickly realized was a problem today. And so as we all know with what was going on in South Korea, and obviously with the issue in North Korea, one of those megacities that was quickly becoming something we needed to pay attention to was Seoul, South Korea, and the impacts. If you had a decisive action fight literally right across the border with a megacity right in the mix of the crosshairs. And so the other aspect of looking at these problems is we had some incredibly talented folks linked in with the entire uh, strategic studies group. But what we realized as an approach, I really pushed hard for because I thought it was it should be part of the effort was, hey, look, we can't just admire these problems and you can't get the the clarity, the granularity or the context of the problem or the scope or size unless you go to them. So we put a big effort into going to these different megacities. And you know, if you're going to use a bumper sticker for megacities, I would say, uh, you know, if you've seen one megacity, then you've seen one megacity. <laughs> They're all significantly different. And so that's why we, we kind of chose different styles of megacities from Dhaka, Bangladesh to Lagos, Nigeria to Bangkok and Mexico City and even, you know, going to New York City because they each give you a feeling and understanding of the different framework and challenges that come with each one of those. You know, as somebody who didn't do those trips, I where I really want to pick your brain, especially so if I didn't mention it earlier, that report was done in two thousand and fourteen and you've gone on and done some major nominative senior positions where you've had the ability to influence training strategies and preparation for real-time missions in dense urban environments. I saw the Megacities report as a an overall assessment, not just of the strategic thinking, but also of the operational capability for those environments. And I wonder if we could go there on, even as a division sergeant major, you thought about it for a while and now you've seen the Army continue, even in your experience with the Asymmetric Warfare Group and the Brigade Modernization Command about building capabilities to operate along the full spectrum in those environments. And where does the Army stand? Well, John, it's a, that's a great question. Um, and so what I, what I don't want to do is speak for the Army. What I can do is uh, speak for my personal observations. And then more importantly, you know, I think I can give you some vignettes of, you know, as being the Division Sergeant Major of the 3rd Infantry Division, how, how I have one brigade that's actually dealing with this problem as we speak. Okay, so so part one is, um, look, I am I am a obviously a huge advocate of doing as much research and study and analysis into a problem from using every asset that is available to you. But there's the the final stretch that I think that really gives you clarity and understanding that reconnaissance, if you will. You have to go to those environments, not only for your own understanding, but if you're going to come and talk to the army 
and tell them, hey, you have a problem. You have a problem now and you're ill prepared to deal with it. You need to have been in those environments. And I would tell you from a process standpoint, it, it comes down to credibility. So it's very hard for you to get up and talk to a group of senior leaders and general officers about the impacts of a mega city and how it's problematic if you've never been there. And so the ability for myself, the team that I went with was a guy named Dr. Mike Bailey, a microbiologist. Yes, don't don't ask how a microbiologist got paired with uh, a command sergeant major to go to the largest growing city in the world at the time. But what I would tell you it did for us, John, was it gave me a clarity that I would have never understood prior. So not only is it in the category of megacity, but 7 million people. And it's just this dense urban sprawl that seemed to go on and that was never ending. The other piece of it that I found that was fascinating to, to help people understand just the scope. I said, if you just think of it this way. And so this dense urban growth where they, you know, they talk about every day, I think it's an estimated 180,000 people from across the globe are migrating into cities. And so as you look at Lagos, it was in essence, every year Lagos grew by a Boston. I mean, if you think about it, it's just, it's hard to understand until one, you fly over it and then two, you spend time in it to the scale and scope of the problem that we're talking about. So for us personally, I think it gave us a clarity and depth of understanding that gave, you know, our approach and really the case studies and analysis we did. It gave it some teeth to have that discussion at the appropriate level with the uh, appropriate senior leaders. And then the second piece really kind of gets to what you're talking about now is, hey, we're, we didn't just get the opportunity to admire the problem. Um, th this, this problem is what we are dealing with today. And so there are all of these kind of one-offs, if you will. So as we talk about these dense urban environments, you know, there's one thing that kind of rings true with all of them. There's a, an underground aspect to the megacity that has become very, very important to us. And so 1st Brigade, 3rd Infantry Division is currently in South Korea right now, and they uh, deployed on a training mission in support of uh, our partners in South Korea uh, as a deterrent, obviously, from North Korea. And so when you look at that problem set, and their motto over there is very simple, you need to be prepared to fight tonight. And that just lets you know the scope of where they are at in reference to their war fighting. But the point that I bring up is these aren't just problems for admiration. These are problems that the Army is dealing with today. And so the, the aspect that I would say we put the most effort into in their preparation was them understanding that subterranean environment and the impact of what that would mean if there was a decisive action engagement that pushed into Seoul, South Korea, or the other aspects or the, the lying suburban framework uh, that just continued to extend out from there. So in preparing forces for deployment into an area where there is a known subterranean environment, do you feel that the training methodologies, resources, and capabilities are where we need to be as a a unit that's trained to fight today to go into those environments. So if you break down the, the subterranean issue and then you add in, you know, chemical, you add in potential nuclear and how the vast majority of those capabilities and sites 
to include units and organizations are protected in underground facilities. And then what you and I were just talking about, the scope and scale of that problem. Simply put, you run out of schlitz. You only have so many of those that you can deal with. And so that's a constraint. So regardless of how many brigades uh, you put in there, it's always going to be a constraint. And so our top tier capability to deal with those is also limited. And so you really have to figure out how you're going to contain the problem until you can deal with it. So could it be better? It can always be better. And are we properly prepared for it? I look at how much we looked at subterranean 10 years ago. John, we, we didn't. I mean, it was it's literally been in the past 10 years where we've started to go, we need to put a significant effort into that. And then you look at from a dealing with a mega city and how do you deal, you know, if you take it down to its smallest components, okay, let's just pick one building of over, you know, 60 stories. And I think when you do the math on, uh, you know, if you look at the World Trade Centers there in New York City, that every floor of that building represented one acre. And so then you start doing the math of how many battalions would it take for you to put within, you know, the World Trade Center at that time to clear it. Again, it's a simple math problem and one that I don't think we have the exact answer for. And then obviously what it would do to consume, in essence, our efforts going in. And I agree with you. We admire this problem set that the mission, you know, what's the mission? Yes, a, a, you know, a city of 20 million is a large problem set, but what is what is the mission? There are missions that U.S. forces could accomplish in a megacity. That's a fact. If you want them to clear the entire city, okay, now we have problems. Yes. As the, the senior enlisted advisor and really the, the ability to bridge down to the soldier level capabilities, some people say there are fundamentals of warfare that apply to any environment and that there are even historical urban warfare fundamentals that apply. So if you're advising a unit that gets the notice to deploy into a dense urban environment, what would be some of the fundamentals that you're going to tell them or recommend that they are ensuring are mastered or part of their fundamental skill sets? I think you bring up a key function from an enlisted perspective, right? So, okay, we've got a problem and it's in the megacity. Now the terrain, if you will, can be just as much of the problem as your actual mission. And so depending on what that mission is, the JRSONI, right? So your preparatory training to go into that environment, I think we have the skill set and the understanding that, okay, this environment is going to be a little different. We're going to need different capabilities to be successful. I think the Army, and, and honestly, rightfully so, the Army's model has been, hey, we are going to prepare and train brigades for the high end of decisive action. And we do that at our CTCs, right? So if you are prepared to fight at that level, combined arms fight, now we can start adding the other aspects of what you need to be prepared for. The key framework is within that CTC effort. Now, can a CTC replicate the complexities of a megacities? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. But you really have to look at, I don't think you would build a training site that could ever replicate, you know, a city that had 10 million folks in it. It just, it doesn't make sense. So I think you definitely have to take a completely different perspective. The other aspect is, okay, now we know these are some other things that you may need to be prepared to do. Um, training, you know, things that are closer associated with being a constabulary force. 
social media training associated with being in a SEMA EW electronic warfare framework that is going to be part of your security and part of your ability to outreach. Tactical cyber capabilities, these cities also present large potential medical problems. So, for example, when we were in Lagos, uh, Nigeria, we went to a province called uh, Maku, which was one of the poorest provinces on the planet. And obviously, being with a microbiologist, we spent a significant amount of time, you know, talking about potential epidemics, pandemics, and, you know, how do you deal with that? Uh, or even potentially, are you, are you going to be now expected to cordon off uh, certain parts of the cities? And then obviously, logistics, precision logistics within the framework of a city of that size. And so there are some very specific things that you can refine your training on and that I think we now have an appreciation for. But I think one of the other aspects is if if you go and you look, where's the doctrine, where's the the guidance and the leveling of the playing fields for your your dot mill PF implications of what you should be doing within uh, a large, dense urban environment, I think we have some room to get that thing updated. Yeah, for sure. So General Kulak is attributed with the strategic corporal idea that the fact that the ground level soldier can have strategic implications. And I'm wondering if you as a division sergeant major believe in that concept? And if so, how are we doing to having soldiers understand that concept? That is uh, a great question. And one, and not even so much a question, it's a a concept that I I will tell you, I am 100% in belief, although it may be articulated a little differently. You know, I think we deal with this every day already. So you can pick, just spent in the last 15 months in Afghanistan. And so event after event after event, you can pick on how your actions at the tactical level can quickly and easily have strategic implications. And so if you look at something as simple as Afghanistan and, you know, our efforts there, 17 years strong, and then, uh, you know, our will to continue to be engaged there. And so, you know, casualties U.S. casualties in Afghanistan, we do not have a large stomach for. And so you have to take that into account. When I say we, I say we, the American populace, can, you can have a huge debate on it, whether it's right or wrong. It, re- it really doesn't matter. It, it is the context of which we operate. And so when we were there, the number one priority from resolute support that came out from General Nicholson, and rightfully so, is like, hey, you need to understand what that means and do not accept or take unnecessary risk with your formation. And if it doesn't feel right and there's something wrong, then you need to understand what that means and don't accept risk when you don't need to. And so there's there's vignette after vignette of how those actions can have incredibly negative consequences. You can just go back with the, the young soldier who never even really thought about, hey, I'm throwing a lot of stuff in the trash and here's a Koran and the burning of a Koran and how simply and how quickly that created some significant issues. And so you take that and you look at collateral damage, you know, the other aspect of collateral damage in Afghanistan, very, very problematic. 
it will create significant problems for you if you are not taking the appropriate steps to minimize collateral damage because it has a huge impact with the Afghan population and within their culture. And so what you just described, I think, is the space of which we will fight in. And then obviously, depending on what phase you are and the conflict you're in, there'll be that effort within obviously uh, a time period where, you know, it is decisive action and the gloves are off. Okay, that's a different context, but you don't stay in that framework forever. And so there are things you would do and, you know, pick your conflict in the first 90 days to 180 days that would be significantly different. You would not be doing three years later. Yeah. I I always wonder if if we have the capability to keep that appreciation of tactical level events to the significance of that in the modern wars of a single action could have strategic effects. So my last question, Sergeant Major, is that report you did on megacities was written in 2014. Since then, we've had a lot of combat around the world happening in dense urban environments. And some have argued that it's near the appreciation of total war, just the amount of destruction, although not U.S. forces, but U.S.-backed forces have, have been happening in name the Middle Eastern town that we have to recapture from ISIS. What does that mean for appreciation of dense urban combat? As we've seen since your report, lots of dense urban combat happening. What are some of the things that we need to keep looking at or some things we just have to understand? Combat's going to continue to happen in this environment. What should we understand about it? Well, so I think if you look back when we did this brief and, uh, you know, I think we all closed out, we finished with doing uh, the brief to, in essence, two-star commanders and above at the senior leader forum. And that was kind of one of the last pieces we did. And I would tell you, and you, and you probably know better than I, but I still stay connected to the effort. And uh, I have seen hundreds, if not thousands of articles, thousands of probably much, but hundreds of articles that continue to be written, different events and training aspects that are tying in the framework of the problems associated with megacity, the frameworks and problems associated with you know, subterranean, the, the frameworks and issues associated with a 3D battlefield and dealing with large high-rise buildings and what it would mean to fight in that kind of environment from dealing with, you know, even as we talked about a train station that has multiple levels and multiple platforms and how you deal with these isolated entities within, um, within the framework of a megacity. And so I think there's always room for improvement, but I have seen partnerships with our cities, from New York cities to the fire departments, to the police. And then it kind of goes back to what I think you and I were talking about. There are certain things that you do that need to have a tactical framework because you're doing an isolated mission set within a megacity. But I've also seen where key leadership from different organizations, whether it was the 82nd, you know, the Global Response Force and their ability to go down and look at something like New York City and gain an appreciation of those characteristics and the complexity when you combine them all, you know, as you were talking about the density, the scale, the impact it would have if you have to conduct combat operations in a city of that scale. And not only the impact it would have in that city, but the impact it would have on the region and potentially the entire globe because these cities are that well connected. And so I think that new urban approach that we've been talking about 
has been growing and we're gaining experience and expertise. And I see it every day, but there's obviously a lot of room and growth as we continue to engage across the globe. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why a lot of times I point to the Megacities report as the start of intellectual curiosity and the continuing the preparation. A lot has been done. Matter of fact, we even started the Urban Warfare Project here at the Modern War Institute, which people can go to nwi.usuma.edu to see, which is just trying to continue the conversation is that we've made a lot of headway in this, but there's still a lot of work to be done. As uh, you just described, there are certain pieces that have been implemented within our own army, but uh, are still taking place as we move forward today. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's kind of the advantage, especially there at West Point, and most people understand like the Modern Wars Institute and the Combating Terrorism Center, the ability they have to, when needed and when requested to help an operational force, whether it's just, hey, point me in the right direction some more resources, or I have a specific question that it's amazing that once you identify what the network is, is how powerful the network actually is. Couldn't agree more, John. All right, Sergeant Major. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of the participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to check out MDY's other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.